Hello and welcome to the Chutzpah Podcast. Also known as Chutzpah. Where we interview visionaries and change makers in the Jewish community. It's for the headstrong and Heimish. And that language is a specifically appropriate, specifically appropriate today because we are honored to have the executive director of Footsteps, Lonnie Santos here. Footsteps, an incredible organization that helps people leaving ultra-Orthodox communities. Lonnie was intimately involved with the recent Netflix documentary, One of Us, which showed an intimate view into the world of those who choose to leave the ultra-Orthodox community. So really excited to hear about that. What's really exciting about it is I got a sneak preview. I was really lucky. Um, I was nervous on how people would respond, whether or not they would take it in or whether or not they would say this is airing our dirty laundry. And really, certainly in yeshivish types of communities and pretty right-wing types of communities, I've been seeing people using it as a wake-up call which is pretty exciting yeah so i just wanted to throw yeah. that out and there we've also been hearing that people are watching it even further in Great. um and uh we've had staff member that staff members that come from that community that have been approached um and thanked for putting themselves out there and putting the story out there really so the feedback has been to one of us this documentary on netflix check it out if you haven't already um the feedback has been primarily positive, would you say? I mean, what what kind of has been that? I would say, I mean, there's always mixed commentary. I would say that overall, it's been um, very positive in terms of communities outside of the ultra-Orthodox community. There were even Kiruv rabbis saying, like, we need to, we need, you know, putting out public statements, um, one on crossroads, you know, we really need to, pay attention to this we mm-hmm. need to um listen empathetically or like Aish put out an article on it wow. and it you know like it, you know it's not and uh, yes there are some people who um have have questioned it have questioned whether we should be doing it have questioned whether the characters should be putting they're not characters they're actually real and <laughs> real people um there are people who've questioned whether the subjects should have put themselves forward. Um, I would like to interrupt just so the the what happens in one of us is you have three people and we get to see their lives sort of develop. It's funny when I was watching it, in my heart I was like, do they know about footsteps? I wonder if they know footsteps. And then there was so much about footsteps. That it was kind well, of funny. the the movie happened um, because we gave them access to our membership, and that was a very that was not a decision that we took lightly Mm -hmm. um they approached us over three years ago and um said would you be willing to have us do a documentary and you know had this vision maybe we'll like sit in your program center and film and we were like that's not happening (laughs) like we have very intense confidentiality rules um you know people who come to footsteps are taking a really big risk and um, part of what we ask everyone to do, no matter where they are in their personal journey, is respect the people who are the earliest on, who are often afraid to come to us. And so um, we thought long and hard about whether we would um, give access to documentary filmmakers who would um, then be making creative decisions on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we said... We have to think about it. We're not sure. And then we sat down and met with them and really uh, 
really we really mm-hmm. trusted them uh, after after connecting with them and we felt like they would do our members justice and mm-hmm. and we think that they did mm-hmm mm-hmm so before we move on, what we haven't done yet, ironically, is asked you about like what is footsteps for Hi. those who don't know. You should know already, but in case you don't. Just in case. Yeah. Um, footsteps yeah. supports and affirms individuals and families who are choosing to leave insular or ultra-Orthodox communities, um, sometimes called Haredi, um, to enter uh, mainstream society and lead self-determined lives. And people do that in various different ways, and we support them in those various decisions. We provide a combination of practical supports, um, everything from access to education, GEDs. We've given over a million dollars away in academic scholarships over the last 10 years and uh, um, help people find jobs, help with legal supports. Um, But most importantly, we provide a sense of community to people who are incredibly isolated, Mm -hmm. um, feel alone, are told that they'll never succeed if they leave the communities that they grew up in and um, are really looking for a safe space to have peer support and to have a professional listening ear that's not going to be a judgmental one that's mm-hmm. going to help them think mm-hmm. through the consequences of mm-hmm. their decisions um, but not tell them what to do mm-hmm. just be there and mm-hmm. and help and help them figure out what the next steps that make sense for them are yeah so going back um, to the decision to allow um, the filmmakers who created one of us to use the stories of footsteps members as the material for for the documentary mm-hmm. uh, i'm personally a journalist for those who don't know and i i she's a rock star journalist thank yeah. you thank you sharon so <laughs> when i do work on more sensitive stories i'm frequently acutely aware that the people who are most likely to speak are the people who are most vulnerable and at a place where they almost have nothing or they they feel that they have reached a point where they have almost nothing left to lose um i wanted to hear from from you um when you face people in and and work with individuals who have had such extreme challenges um what what how do you confront that vulnerability? How do you protect that vulnerability uh, at footsteps? That is the biggest reason that we were debating so much whether we should give access for a documentary. We, at, at the point that we agreed, had no clue that it would be on Netflix. They hadn't Oscar-nominated films in the past, but they hadn't been on Netflix. Um, so that separately um, really has has changed how people are learning about this issue but most importantly in terms of protecting our members um, in general the majority of our programs are closed Um, our program centers address is not publicized and we ourselves um, our social workers uh, really spend time with people I mean uh, what what folks are looking for is to be accepted and a lot of what we do is create a warm atmosphere where people could um, know that they could trust us Um, we can't do everything for everyone no one can yeah and um, what's amazing about our members is that they're the ones that are taking uh, life by their horns the ultimate chutzpah um, is um, having a sense that uh, you want 
to make a huge change in your life and take a real risk uh, to lose everything, social supports, emotional supports, financial supports. Um, and people don't take that decision lightly mm-hmm. and um, often approach us when they feel like they have no other uh, choice, like meaning... Yeah. I've tried to make this work for such a long time and it's not. Yeah. And I feel like I'm not alive inside. So it's really standing um, by their side. Like if people saw in the movie, like how Khani, our program manager, really sits with people. Um, that's a big way of how we support them in, in, in moments that are most vulnerable. And then I will say they support each other. that's really critical Mm -hmm. um it's a peer support model and people do join footsteps uh, um for the most part early on when they are in a very vulnerable place or they come back to us at a moment of crisis but i will say there is a there are a growing number of people who are joining us who left years ago and they come and they say, we want to mm-hmm. help. And we say, the first thing you should do is join this community mm-hmm. um, because the best way you can help is to be an uh, example to others and a role model to them about how you could build a life that is authentic to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of someone leaving the ultra-Orthodox community, mm-hmm. um, what are some things that are like rational or not, but like like the in your kishkas and your guts, like what's hard? Like there's obviously overall you're ousted from your community in many ways. Yeah. But are there certain things that like you you could still keep on to culturally or Yeah, or I mean cuz yeah. I wouldn't I would flip that and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's like what's hardest to hold on to. It's like what do people want to hold on okay, to? Okay, fair. Right? Because we're not saying to people you need to give up your past life. Right. In fact, what we're trying to do with people is help them figure out how to integrate it, their past life and what they want of their future life right. together. Okay. And so, like, I was just talking to a member last week who said that their 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 three of our members go to Medgar Evers College, and they uh, that's in Crown Heights, and they all. Um, last semester had classes on Saturday morning and they'd get together after class and they'd have children together. Like, so that's an example. A lot of people light Shabbat candles or don't but have a Friday night meal Mm -hmm. um, with their friends. Um, You actually see that in the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And they have the whole dinner and they're singing and... Right. I mean, that's not everyone. Everyone doesn't yearn for that. But many people um, will really desire still listening to Hasidic music because right. they love it. It's like ingrained. So, and most people who you talk to, there's this, there's this like myth out there. Like why do people who leave the Haredi world throw out the baby with bathwater? Like what's going on with that? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to quote Shalom Dean on this one, uh, who, when he was uh, doing his book tour, got he wrote a book called All Who Go Do Not Return. Again, if you haven't read it, um, you should. It's a beautiful um, piece of art, actually. Um, but he was asked this question a lot, and he was like, listen, people, there's plenty of baby. There's plenty of bath water. <laughs> like, uh, we are so, it is so deeply ingrained in us. Uh, we, of course, we're holding on to things. We might not be observant in the way we used to or mm-hmm. have a desire to live within a halachic system within a, a system of jewish law um some want to like you know have some level of observance in their lives most don't most right. like really have 
um, cringed against that um, and it just doesn't work for them. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do hold on to so much. And what's most important is that our our members and people who are leaving are are, um, accompanied in that journey and not like pushed in one direction or another to be like, why aren't you joining X, my version of Judaism? Don't you think you should be X type of Jew like I am? They get right. a lot. And I think that that misses, it like totally misses the the point. Point. Yeah. yeah. How so? In- that when people are leaving a very black and white understanding of what Judaism is, which is what they're doing, it's defined in one way, um, growing up, they're basically told everyone else is a guy um and uh, to come to an understanding that there is a gray and to figure out which aspects of their backgrounds and their identity they want to integrate into their future selves um is a deeply personal experience and most people i would say the majority of at least footsteps members have lost faith in the system like the system that they were in there they saw hypocrisy within it it just didn't work for them and so they're not very likely to like go ahead and join another movement maybe over the years they will like mm-hmm. you know 20 25 years later i think we'll probably see more people for now like mm-hmm. people really want to just do this on their own terms yeah. and i think that folks need to let them yeah Absolutely. Um, how do you get the word about footsteps um, into the most insular communities when there is already such a strong attempt to defame the work that you do, especially in the places where uh, the work might be most needed? Yeah. Um, so what is that process? Is it word of mouth primarily? Yeah, um, I mean, it's always been word of mouth. Um, we're not, um, you know, going out and plastering, you know, bus stops or putting stickers in bathrooms or right like this is not um an attempt to pull people out Uh, we do want to let people know that we're there if they desire um and if they feel like they're um really not fitting in the world that they were born into um and uh, doing things like having a documentary on netflix even though you think maybe um people don't have access to the internet but really there's always ways and there's maybe another phone in their pocket that's a smartphone when they have a flip phone outside. So, um, you know, getting stories out there um, that 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 people are not alone, I think, is a really important way mm-hmm. of uh, um, giving people hope that there are, um, are are people like them and that they're not the only ones. Yeah, oh. I have so many questions for you. Okay. How many? So many. Let me ask you guys. <laughs> I don't know how many. I could keep going all day. Um, okay. But one question I have as a feminist, and I'm hoping that everyone in this room is a feminist right now. Um, are there certain issues to be aware of when, when it comes to that and in terms of the work you do or in terms of what, why someone might may be wanting to leave? Yeah, I mean, at Footsteps, I would say we take a gendered approach to everything we do. And what I mean by that is that, um, and a gendered lens, um, we really look at what women's experiences are and what men's experiences are. We have 1,400 members at Footsteps, 60% of them, or probably more, are men. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, for us, it's very important not to compare individual 
personalized oppressions. Like if someone felt oppressed as a male in their role, what's to say that their oppression is any less than a woman who felt oppressed in 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 the life that she was in right Mm -hmm. um there are certainly systemic oppressions that exist for women um in ultra orthodoxy in particular can you share an Um, example or two i mean there's the just so much lack of voice in the public sphere Mm -hmm. um you know I'll give an, a, a a pretty intense example that happens in many Hasidic uh, communities. Control over the purse strings is a really big issue. So women could be working, but their men are getting their paychecks. Mm-hmm. Um, their men, their husbands <laughs> are getting their paychecks. Um, so we'll often, often hear about, and even in places like, you know, um, a head start in Borough Park, which mm-hmm. is a federally funded program, right? Like we will hear stories of women who's, who were working there and whose paychecks went directly to their husbands. Wow. Um, so it's not only in Hasidic-run businesses where this happens. That's a pretty intense example. And then you have the more common examples, I think, that people know about, like issues that left-leaning side of the Orthodox world is really saying, like, there can be a lot more inclusion for women in the synagogue space, in um, ritual spaces. But I think that the voice in the public sphere is a pretty intense, intense one. Um, uh, uh, and and women are just um, there are a lot of burdens on men and women. But men, men tend to have the opportunity to not be questioned where they're going as much. A little bit more of some freedom mm-hmm. of mobility and peop- women that women don't really have. Mm-hmm. Um, In many ultra orthodox circles, women are not taught to drive. Yes, another example. Mm-hmm. Another example. But I, I'll tell you that there are certainly many many men at footsteps like the the sexual abuse is a much bigger issue for men Mm -hmm. in the ultra-orthodox community than it is for women not that it certainly happens to women Mm -hmm. but it's pretty rampant in yeshivas um in for boys in particular so i'm interested in that 60 percent of your membership is male yeah um do you think there is a, a higher barrier a higher barrier i guess to exit for women or less incentive to do so or less what do you see in that disparity of numbers? Um, a little bit of what I was just talking about with the um, mobility mm-hmm. uh, factor. Um, if, say, a man could say he's going off to learn and no one's checking up on him, mm-hmm. then he could be wherever. Um, there, there are things like that. Also, by nature, like, uh, or by, by not, not by nature, in fact, by the way the system is built, women are getting married at a younger age. Um, right there um, in many communities you start talking about um, marriage prospects 16 17 and you're married by 18 sometimes sometimes younger than that finally 18. in New York State now you cannot get married in New York State um, younger than 17 that's a new law thank God and 17 is pretty young and 17 you, you actually made it <laughs> and there's actually advocates, young. Yeah, there's advocates that are working on making it to be 18 so right yeah. um, so I'll I'll say yeah. um, if women are getting married younger than men like even just two years yeah uh, it, then then and there's no birth control and you're taught mm-hmm. you know wedding night Friday nights on cycle like mitzvah nights 
Purvu, right? Like pre fruitful and multiply. Then women get pregnant pretty fast, younger than than men will start to have children. And then I think also because of the way that women are socialized, they're socialized to have more um, more guilt about the impact of their leaving. Um, So the the guilt exist across the board I will say um what is going to be the impact on my family for sure mm-hmm. um but if men are taught say talk talk about parents for instance if men are taught to be a pious leader of the family and that's their role and then they start to not be pious in their own minds um then what is their role as a father mm-hmm. um that comes into question so if they have a 1 year old child the likelihood to stay solely because they might like lose that relationship is not there because they're not taught that they have a right to be a parent in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so um, whereas women are taught that their their life's slot is to be mothers and mm-hmm. to be raising the family. And so there's a lot more guilt then on, oh my God, if I leave and I'm not able to retain a relationship with my kids. Uh, who am I? How am I defined? And also, what's the impact of that on my family? So a lot of societal norms um, and the way that gender roles are built play into why um, more men than women leave, I think. Those are personal opinions, I would say, and, and analyses over the years. People might disagree with them. Okay, <laughs> so now we're pivoting. Yeah, we're pivoting to talk about <laughs> you. Lonnie and um, how your background uh, influences the work that you do today, the very important work that you do today. So you mentioned that you grew up in a modern Orthodox home. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience and what you bring with you from your childhood and upbringing to the work you do. Sure, happy to. Um, so yes, I was. I, I I see myself as sort of like having both an insider and outsider perspective, and not fully either. Right. Uh-huh. So uh, having grown up in a modern Orthodox home, both of my parents had become observant. They were balei tshuva um, before any of us kids were born. I have two siblings. Um, they landed themselves um, in Kew Gardens in Queens, which had a modern Orthodox uh, community when they started there, but there was a bigger black hat community, yeshivish community, and now it's basically like mostly black hat in that community um, and over the years most most of the modern orthodox families moved out of the neighborhood went to like places like Teaneck or the five towns um, and so we ended up growing up in a community that was basically black hat like the shul that I went to the synagogue that I went to was uh, there was a, a separate room with graded windows looking into uh, like bigger you know base medrash mm-hmm. study hall study hall yeah um so um and you know my my both of my parents were like children of the 60s um my mom had pretty strong feminist values and it wasn't working for her in that space mm-hmm. um my parents got got divorced um basically uh for, for a number of reasons but one of the things was really just a uh, um my my dad really loved and still loves that community and there's a lot of beautiful things about um 
ultra-Orthodox communities. People are there for each other in the good times and the bad, right? Deaths, births, um, and uh, it's a really strong support network for for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, so my parents split ways, and um, then a year later, my mom came out as gay. And uh, back then, I was I was at um, Yeshiva University High School, um, no one was talking about people being gay at, like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a conversation in the modern Orthodox community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, even I could remember like small moments of, okay, maybe I had, I like had a teacher in high school that said something like, well, maybe there are people who are gay, but they're like, they shouldn't act on it. It's not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's, that was basically, so I was like, no one can find out. I mean, that's wow. really how I felt. Uh, um, my siblings had friends that were more modern leaning and left leaning. And I had friends that were more right leaning. And I just felt like if they found out, if the school found out, I'd be kicked out. Like I really mm-hmm. did. Um, and so for five years, I didn't tell anyone and um, holding that secret and having this sense that there's an, um, such a veil of conformity where everyone needs to pretend that we're all the same, um, at least in, in, in my view as an adolescent in the community, um, really like A, stunted my, I think, adolescent development. I was a very quiet, um, you know, young young girl and and teenager, and was not chutzpahdik at all. <laughs> like uh, really in line with everything. Straight like, you know, like you know, skirts down to the ankle, and the like. You know, like all right, I guess I need to cover my elbows if I must. Like you know, um, but that's not a that it wasn't really family values. It was more like communal pressures that I felt. Right. Um, and so I knew when I when I took the job at Footsteps, I, I ha- I, what I knew I would be deeply passionate about were all and are all the human rights issues that come up for us on a daily basis, giving people access to a basic education, um, the right to earn a living and keep it for yourself, the, you know, the right to live freely and choose your religious orientation um, without implications of losing everything in your life. Um, So that felt like very clear to me. That was the work that I knew I wanted to do in my life. Mm -hmm. What I really didn't realize were the connections um, that I would deeply feel to um, really helping people find their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. It was something that I committed to and started to write in college. um, I um, found people who were like not only I felt like I could tell about my mom being gay, but also found it like sort of interesting. Like, oh, you're you have a gay mom. You grew up Orthodox. You're still Orthodox. What's the story with that? Like, um, I don't I don't affiliate as Orthodox anymore. At the time, I was going through my own identity exploration and really looking for community that was would support me in that. And I think that that's what we do on a daily basis at mm-hmm, Footsteps. Mm-hmm. We're really supporting people to feel like they could be their full selves, not have to hide parts of themselves right. and mm-hmm. know that there will be a, a community there of both people who are formerly ultra-Orthodox, but also that there's a broader community out there, right, of, of progressive Jews, of people in the secular world that are like really 
happy to get behind them and say like we are your allies also and that's important to people yeah so a little more about when your chutzpah did kick in and blossom um you know chutzpah being defined as challenging the status quo coming into your own finding some healthy uh audacity um in order to make change that needed to be made um so when when did that when did that kick in I really started to come into my own and find my voice in college. And it was really when I felt like I had found people who would embrace me for who I was that I could be my full self. Um, So I, you know, started as uh, and I started to get involved in the what was then called the like Jewish pluralism project at Columbia and then um, moved on to be ultimately the president of Columbia Barnard Hillel and I actually remember um, one moment where um, tensions on campus were getting pretty high around Israel-Palestine conflict glad that's uh, over (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I um, was very saddened as the president of Hillel to see like groups on a college walk protesting against each other and I basically said like I'm standing in the middle here and I'm putting up a sign I'm standing in the middle and saying like we need to do both and I am a both and person like we need to be building bridges in the world um, at footsteps we're not looking to vilify anyone. We're really looking to create bridges and to create opportunities for people. That's beautiful. And I think an, an excellent that. note to end on. Actually, just one more question. Footsteps has grown tremendously. Yeah. Over it's the exploded. past. It's exploded. It's it really has. You are seen as an authority on a lot of these issues. Um, could you ever have foreseen what has been created? Yes. I actually could have. I mean, it was hard to know where the resources would come from. That's the bottom line. When I, um, Malky Schwartz was our visionary founder. When I inherited the organization, we were a $400,000 budget. We had served 500 people. We were trying to do our best to serve them, but we were two and a half staff. Like, how well could you do that for anyone? Um, And how, um, and now today we're 15 staff, we're $2.3 million, and we've served 1,400 people active membership is i i just heard a stat in a staff meeting this week 664 people um last year Mm -hmm. um and that's up 40 percent from the year before um and then there's a there's this world that's really beyond footsteps there's a whole universe that we started to see trickle up like coming to the fore I mean it started on the blogs and then it moved onto Facebook and all of these different private forums and it's amazing and there's so much momentum out there and for us we really want to be supporting this because what we see this as is is as a movement of people who are making the choice to live lives that are self-determined yeah, I would imagine that there's so many lives that you don't, you can't count because not everyone can make it through your door, maybe yeah. because of where they live. Right. But you're Even changing so many yeah. people. And I, I also that. just want to add, if someone um, is listening out there that could use support, um, you should, and you have internet access, look us up online at footstepsorg.org. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an extra org in there, um, and uh, if you don't 
pick up the phone. We're at 212-253-0890. And that's a wrap. Thank <laughs> you, Lonnie Santo. Thank thanks you for so having much me. For Lonnie, thanks so much. This episode of the Chutzpah Podcast was recorded by Oren Hershender and edited by Rebecca Honig Friedman. Our theme music is by Glazer Drive. You can listen to the Chutzpah Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Chutzpah is a joint project of Jofa and the New York Jewish Week. Please remember to subscribe, and if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a positive rating.